0: The Super Bowl was two weeks ago. And how many of you enjoyed watching that game? Probably quite a few of you. I know that Wisconsin Knights would have preferred that the Packers were in that game, but even still, it was a great game. I mean it was nonstop action from beginning to end. It was the most yards ever ever accumulated in an NFL game. And besides that, the team I was cheering for, the Eagles won. So it was really a very exciting game to watch. And the next day after the Super Bowl, I could not stop talking about that game. And even still, I get kind of fired up when I think about what took place in that game. And that's the way it is, that when we're excited about something, it flows out of us naturally. I think of those, uh, those few days after I got engaged, or when Shelly and I received a referral to adopt each of our children, or even after I bought a new bicycle. When we're excited about something, it flows out of us naturally. Now, Jesus gives us something to be supremely excited about, and that is called the gospel. Now, the word gospel comes from a Greek word evangel, which means good news. And back in that ancient culture, the idea of gospel or the evangel was frequently associated with military victory, that when an army would win a battle, there would be a messenger who would run from the battlefield Back to the home city and declare the gospel that the army won the victory. And this messenger was sometimes called an evangelist because he brought the evangel, or the good news, of victory. Now Christians celebrate a good news that is far beyond any sort of military victory. Christians celebrate the gospel that through Jesus, sin and evil and death have been defeated. And in a broken world like ours, a world of of school shootings, a world full of cancer, a world of of broken relationships, and much more, this is supremely good news. And Jesus commissions each one of us to be his messengers, taking his good news of the gospel to the people around us. I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 4. We are in a series called Speak Life, which is based on Proverbs 18.21 that says that the tongue has the power of life and death. Our words are incredibly powerful. They can build people up and our words can tear people down. And in this series, as we're talking about speaking life, we we would be negligent if we miss out on on the importance of using our words to point people to Jesus. Because Jesus himself said in John 10.10, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And so today, we're looking at how we can use the words of our mouths to help people experience the life that Jesus alone offers. So let me pray for us and we'll dig in. Our Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus into this world. We thank you that Jesus has defeated sin and evil and death. And Lord, our hearts this week go out to those who are grieving down in Florida. We we pray that you will be comforting them and drawing them close to you, giving them hope, even amidst this deep sadness. And Lord, as we look at events like this and so many other turmoils around our nation and around the world, we pray your kingdom comes. And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we look forward to the day when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of of peace and righteousness and and grace. We look forward to that day. But between this day and that, may we be faithful to continue to spread the message about the victorious King Jesus to those around us. So that more and more people will experience the life that, that only he offers. And so, Lord, today, please teach us through your Word and through your Holy Spirit how we can be faithful ambassadors of yours in this world, and I pray that you will motivate us to apply the things that we are learning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I read Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. The Apostle Paul tells us, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So today we are talking about speaking the gospel. And if we want to be active in in speaking the gospel effectively, the place to start is by talking with God. That's the topic of prayer. And that's the topic that that Paul starts with here. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. You know, the opportunity to pray to the God of the universe is, is an incredible privilege. But oftentimes we don't use that privilege as much as we might. I think of D.L. Moody, who, who, you know, 150 some years ago said, you know, when we get to heaven, one of the things we're going to be shocked by is how little use we made of the power of prayer. Because prayer is so powerful, it, it gives us such an intimate relationship with God, yet so oftentimes, for various reasons, we don't use prayer as much as we ought to. But Paul tells us to devote yourselves to prayer. And in in the rest of this passage, he's calling us to specifically focus on praying for evangelism. He says in verse 3 and 4, Pray for us too, that God may open the door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And so Paul here is focused on praying. For other people that they will come to faith in Christ. He's asking for prayer for open doors in ministry. That means that at times doors may not be as open for ministry. There might be restrictions on someone's freedom to talk about Christ. People might have closed hearts where they just aren't interested in hearing about Jesus. Or they're too distracted to think about spiritual things. But Paul is praying for open doors. And when we pray for other people, especially pray that they will come to faith in Christ, one of the things that we are doing is acknowledging that we aren't the ones who can change people's hearts. God is the one who changes people's hearts. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So in ministry, we can plant seeds in people's lives of the gospel. We can water those seeds, but God is the one who, who makes them grow. And this is one of the reasons why prayer is essential if we want to help others come to faith in Christ. So so one of the ways that we can speak the gospel and speak life to people is to start by praying to God. I think of a quote from E. M. Bounds, who was a great prayer warrior long ago. He said that talking to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. He will never talk well and with real success to men for God who has not learned well how to talk to God from men. Now, I recognize the language in this quote is a bit antiquated. I recognize it, it takes a little bit to try to get your mind around what he's saying here. But the point is very true that if we want to be effective in pointing other people to Christ, the, the place to start is praying for them to God. And so we start With prayer, using our words to talk with God about the spiritual lives of other people and ourselves, but praying that God will draw people to Christ, open the doors of their heart to the gospel. Yet it does not stop there. If we want to speak life to others, we also must talk with other people, which is evangelism. Look with me to verses five and six. Paul says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So, Paul here is talking about evangelism. And uh, the root of evangelism is simply evangel, which is the gospel. So, evangelism is simply sharing the gospel with other people. Now, interestingly, for most Christians, this idea of evangelism can be kind of scary and kind of intimidating. I mean, it's it's sharing the best news in the entire universe, but it can still freak us out. I think of back about six months after I came to faith in Christ. I was in college at that time, and there was another student who was more spiritually mature than I was. He was discipling me. He was helping me grow. And one day, he said, let's go out on the campus and just see if anyone's interested in talking about Jesus. And so I said, okay. But I wasn't really okay in my heart because I was kind of scared. Um, And so I'm out there following him around, and and he goes up to this guy and and just just asks, hey, can I ask you a few questions about your your spiritual beliefs? And the guy said, sure. And um, so my friend's sitting here talking with this guy, and they're talking about spiritual things and Jesus. And I'm kind of suddenly timid and embarrassed and want to hide behind a tree. But that's the way we oftentimes get when it comes to thinking about talking with others about Jesus. We get kind of embarrassed or we get intimidated. We get uncomfortable. It's ironic again, that, that we're talking about the best news in the universe, but it can make us, uh, just again, kind of embarrassed or kind of uncomfortable when it comes to actually sharing the gospel with other people. There is um, a quote from um, St. Francis of Assisi, or so it's attributed to him that says, "Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words." And this sounds really, really nice. And, and for a lot of Christians, they love this idea uh, because it, it emphasizes actions more than words. It, it's a lot easier to think, okay, just be nice to other people, love other people, be generous to other people. And then that's the form of sharing the gospel. But the issue is this quote is really not fully true. Because the question is, can the gospel be shared without words? And this quote, which, again, St. Francis of Assisi probably did not actually ever say, but it's attributed to him, the quote assumes that you can speak the gospel without words. Well, if necessary, use words, but it may not actually be necessary. But can you actually communicate the gospel without words? I mean, are loving actions enough to help someone come to saving faith in Christ? The answer is no, because the gospel is an inherently verbal message that must be communicated with words because of the complexity of the message. Nonverbal communication is very powerful. I mean, our actions oftentimes do speak louder than words. Yet at the same time, actions are insufficient to communicate complex information. Let me read for us one of the passages of scripture out of 1 Corinthians 15 that that explains the gospel. Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. He says, By this gospel you were saved. And then he lays out the details of this gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, picking up in verse 3, Paul says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. This is one of the descriptions in the Bible of the gospel. Now, the question is how would you communicate this using only actions? I mean, if you were playing charades with a bunch of other Christians, you probably could, and they could probably guess what you're trying to communicate. But that's because they have prior knowledge of these topics. Some of the that might even have this passage memorized, at least the part that says Christ died for our sins. But what if you're talking or what if you're trying to interact with someone or share the gospel with someone who has very little prior knowledge about who Jesus really is? Or someone who doesn't really understand the topic of sin? Do you think, is it really possible to communicate to someone uh, using only actions, not words, that Jesus died on the cross to pay the death penalty for our sins. He was buried. Then three days later, he rose again to gain the victory over sin and evil and death. And he shares that victory to us and we can receive it by faith. Is there any way to communicate that using only actions? No. Words are necessary. Now, actions are still important by all means. Be kind, be loving, be generous. That really helps prepare the soil of someone's heart to receive the gospel. But still, we have to understand that that in terms of speaking life, words are necessary if we really want to share the gospel with other people. The gospel is meant to be spoken. Let me give you another quote that I think is a bit more accurate in the relationship between words. Actions. It comes from one of my seminary professors named John Nyquist. He said, Actions speak louder than words, but words speak more clearly than actions. It's a both and. We need both the actions and the words. Yes, our actions do speak very loudly, at the same time, our words speak more clearly. They need to, to work hand in hand as we are trying to point others around us to Christ. We need to understand that being nice is not the gospel. Being nice is key. I mean, if you are rude to someone, odds are good, anything you say with your mouth about the gospel is not going to gain much of a hearing. We should be nice, but being nice is not the gospel. The gospel is an inherently verbal message that must be shared with words. Now, I want to come back here to our, our passage in Colossians to look at some guidelines for sharing or speaking the gospel. So looking specifically at, at verses 5 and 6. One of the guidelines, um, let, me, let me just read verse 5 before we dive into it. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. This idea of outsiders is people who are not yet Christians. People who are outside of the church. Not just Freedom's Church, but any church, um, any gospel-centered church. So it's outsiders who don't yet know Christ And Paul says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. So, one of the guidelines for speaking the gospel is to exercise intentional wisdom. Wisdom means that we are are making sure that our words and our actions and our attitudes are building bridges to the gospel rather than burning those bridges. Wisdom means that we are aware of the terminology that we are using as we're trying to talk about spiritual matters because, frankly, Christians have a vocabulary that's quite foreign to people outside the church. So we need to make sure that the vocabulary that we're using, the things we're talking about, actually makes sense to people. Also, wisdom recognizes that some topics simply are not beneficial to talk about if we really want to point people to Jesus. Many years ago, I was on a missions trip for a summer down in Brazil, and it was on college campuses down there in and one of the things that we learned was that when, when these students found out I was American, an American, for most of them, their very first question is, what do you think of President Bush? I mean, strange first question, but, you know, this was a very politically charged campus, and, and they want to know, what do you think of President Bush when they found out I was an American? And I found out very, very quickly that if I want any chance of having a fruitful spiritual conversation that points them to Jesus, I should probably steer clear of political conversations. Because that question is a landmine because down there among most of those students, President Bush was not very popular because of of things that were going on in the Middle East and their interpretation of those things. So I just discovered, you know what? That is a topic, just don't engage with that topic if I want any chance of a beneficial conversation about Jesus. And the same is true for us here in today's culture, that there are topics that we may be passionate about, that we may believe in very strongly, even that may be backed up from Scripture, is simply not going to be beneficial to focus on if we really want to point nonbelievers to Christ. For instance, if you're talking with nonbelievers and trying to point them to Christ, if you, if you bring up President Trump, if you begin to talk about homosexuality, if you talk about getting God back in the schools, odds are good, you're going to lose them pretty quickly. We have to understand that President Trump is not the gospel. And Republicans are not the gospel. Neither are Democrats the gospel. Morality and various ethics are not the gospel. And if these are the things that we are focusing on, especially when we're talking with non-Christians, we're going to get all sidetracked and move the focus away from Jesus. And there are a lot of other things that we might be tempted to focus on things that, that make us excited, things that we get passionate about. And remember, the things we're excited about naturally flow out of us. But if we aren't careful, we can end up distracting people, even as we're passionate about other things. We have to understand, for instance, that Aaron Rodgers returning to the Packers is not the gospel. I mean, the latest, uh, latest exercise program is not the gospel either. I mean, getting a scholarship in the college it's great, It's not the gospel. Marrying a, a beautiful woman or a handsome man, it's nice, but that's not the gospel either. Even making a lot of money, which is highly valued in today's culture, that is not the gospel. And we are all evangelists for the things that we are excited about. The question is, what are we evangelizing to the people around us? With our words and with the way we live our lives, are we pointing them to Jesus? Or are we pointing them to something else? And what happens if we're pointing them to something else, whether it's through our words or our actions, we are distracting from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Back in verse 4, Paul says, Pray that I may proclaim the gospel clearly as I should. If we want to proclaim the gospel clearly and wisely... We need to make sure that we are not distracting people or pulling them off course by talking about secondary topics or or our personal passions and opinions. Instead, we need to get the focus back on Jesus because the gospel is about Jesus. So that is one of the practical guidelines if we want to speak the gospel to other people is exercise intentional wisdom in what we say and how we say it. Another piece of practical advice on sharing the gospel with others is to be full of grace. It says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let, let your conversations be full of grace. And this ties into the other topics we've been talking about in the Speak Life series. Bottom line, let's not be rude and disrespectful to other people. I mean, even when we disagree, it's still good to be kind, to be humble. To, to listen, to, to respect other people rather than tearing them down. We want to leave a good taste in their mouths so that the next time they come across a Christian or the next time that we have an opportunity to talk with them about spiritual, spiritual issues, that they are still interested because the bridges have not been burned yet. We want to leave those bridges up so, because the gospel flows best over the bridge of relationships and we want to keep those bridges open. I mean, you remember Jesus. Bible says that he is full of not only of truth, but he's also full of grace. So should we be as well. Another aspect of of speaking the gospel to other people is to create thirst for Jesus. Paul said, let your conversations be always full of grace and seasoned with salt. Now this metaphor of salt could be applied in a variety of different ways, but one of the things you think about salt, it makes you thirsty. And there are people all around us who are thirsty. Thirsty for identity, thirsty for a meaning in life, thirsty for a sense of significance and approval. But but if people are looking at other places besides Jesus to fulfil that thirst, they're ultimately gonna be left empty. And so we have an opportunity to help people identify their deepest thirsts that they're trying to to resolve in a bunch of other ways. We have the opportunity to point them to Jesus, the one who can ultimately satisfy all of our thirsts. And so one of the ways we do this is just recognizing those thirsts in us and recognizing the ways that we in the past or even in the present are seeking to fill those thirsts in ourselves. And to be prepared to share those, because that can build common ground with other people. I I find that in my conversations with non-Christians as well as with Christians, many times I have opportunities to talk about the things I've put my sense of identity and significance in in the past. For instance, how, you know, when I was in high school and college, I put so much of my identity in my truck. Sounds superficial, it is. But that's the reality of where I was, because I didn't have God as a part of my life And so I needed something, so that truck was where I put my sense of identity and significance. It was a nice truck, but it's pretty lame if if you want it to be your God. I put a lot of my identity in in success in sports or in schoolwork or in popularity. or or I, I, I can build common ground with people even talking about church and how, you know what, for the first 20 years of my life, I went to church. I didn't care much about church. I went because my parents wanted me to go. We have to recognize even church is not the gospel. Jesus is the focal point of the gospel. And so by being prepared to share with others the places that we have looked to for identity and, and found those things, you know, those other things that we look to for identity are not satisfying, it opens the door to point people to Jesus, to help create in them a thirst to be, that can only be satisfied through Jesus as well. And one of the things about um, just being seasoned with salt in our conversations is making sure that we're not just talking generically about God, but talking specifically about Jesus. Because the gospel is about Jesus. Now also another guideline for speaking the gospel is to engage in conversations. Paul says, let your conversations be full of grace and seasoned with salt. And one of the things this points to is just Evangelism is not primarily about going up to random people in the street or on a college campus or sitting next to you in an airplane. Evangelism is primarily to be done just in the context of ongoing relationships and in the conversations that take place in those relationships. And this should help ease the minds of those of us who might be intimidated or might be kind of introverted or shy. Because evangelism functions best just in the context of ongoing trusting relationships with friends with family members, with co-workers, with neighbors that just simply as we're conversing with them, we're able to sow seeds for the gospel. One of the keys here is just understanding how we can work our faith into normal, everyday conversations. One of the ways to do this is simply asking questions. I mean, if someone's struggling with something, just dig a little bit deeper by asking a few different questions or maybe asking about someone's spiritual background. Around Christmas time or Easter, ask people, hey, do you have any Christmas traditions, any Easter traditions? There are any number of different ways that we can ask questions that can build a bridge to sharing truths about the gospel. And we need to be looking for opportunities. That's the final guideline I want to point to is look for opportunities. Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. You know, there are times when people are more open to spiritual matters than other times. I mean, even seasons of life, how when someone has lost a loved one. Now, don't go and unload the whole dump truck of the gospel on them right then saying, hey, turn to Jesus right now. Because what they need is someone to listen. They need someone just to be there with them, to give them a hug. As you're walking with someone through the process of grieving, most likely it will open doors to talk about spiritual matters. So look for the opportunities there. Use tact and wisdom, but but there are probably going to be opportunities. Or when someone is facing disappointment or discouragement in their lives, which everyone has happened at times, those can be opportunities to help point people to Christ. When people are going through major transitions from one phase of life to the next, oftentimes there's more of a spiritual openness there. So we need to have our spiritual eyes and ears open for opportunities and just probe to see is there a little bit more openness now we can point them more to christ but remember as we do so do it with humility with gentleness and with respect because that is key if we want to speak life to others now you may be hearing all this stuff and thinking you know i'm still not very good at this and the reality is speaking life to other people in terms of pointing them to christ is a skill be learned. Most people aren't naturally born great at that. We all have certain topics that we are very proficient in discussing with others that we are confident in. I'm sure if we go around the room we could all find those topics. And, and we aren't born proficient in talking about those topics. It's a skill that's developed over time as we gain experience in it. It's the same with pointing other people to Jesus. It's a skill that we can grow in. It starts with recognizing what Jesus has done in us of being excited about the gospel But then it needs to carry over into a desire and a discipline of looking for the opportunities around us, of of engaging in spiritual conversations with those around us. And as we do it, more and more we will grow in the skill of pointing people to Jesus. But we need to remember that prayer is an important component in this as well. And today we are starting what are called the 40 days of prayer. We do this every year in the six weeks leading up to Easter. The 40 days of prayer are a time when we devote ourselves for these six weeks leading up to Easter to praying on a daily basis for at least five people around us that they will come to faith in Christ. We need to remember prayer is powerful. If we want to be successful at impacting others with the gospel, we need to start by lifting them up to God in prayer. So for the 40 days of prayer, I invite you to take out two of these cards. They should be in the pews or the chairs in front of you. Take out two of them. And what I encourage you to do in the next few minutes is write the names of at least five people on there who you would like to pray for each day between now and Easter, that they would become a follower of Jesus. There are hints for what you might be praying for in the bottom of these cards. What I encourage you to do is write, take two cards, write the same names on each card. In just a couple of minutes, there's going to be an opportunity to come up here and put one of the cards in this box. No one will ever see these cards that are in here. But what that will do is it's going to be up here for the next six weeks. It'll be a way to symbolize and remind us of our prayers for all these individuals whose names are in here. So you put one card in there. You can fold it in half so people can't read it through the clear box. With the other card, with the same names on it, I encourage you to put that card in a place where you will see it every day. Maybe it's on the dashboard of your car, maybe it's on the bathroom sink, maybe it's in your Bible, maybe it's at your desk at work, Put it in a place where you will see it, where it will remind you to pray every day between now and Easter that the people whose names are on this card will come to faith in Jesus. I just want to encourage us with the power of prayer, and also of of the influence we can have simply if we just initiate a spiritual conversation with people around us. This coming Saturday represents 19 years since the time when I had a conversation with someone that changed my life. 19 years ago, this coming Saturday, is when a friend from one of my classes when I was a sophomore in college stopped by my dorm room and he just uh, made some small talk for a few minutes and then asked if I would mind answering a few spiritual questions. I liked this guy. I'd known him for about a year, for about a month and a half through one of my classes. And and I thought, sure, I I like procrastinating. And I respected this guy. So I went down to his dorm room, which was down the hall from mine. There was another guy there in the room as well. And and they began asking me some questions about my spiritual beliefs. And I enjoyed talking about those things. I mean, they were focused on me. And they, they were starting from where I was. And they began to share the gospel with me. And that conversation was two hours long. And then a week later, as I processed this, a week later was when I committed my life to following Christ. And it's funny, as I look back on that time, I I kept a relationship with these guys for quite a while. And I asked one of the guys who who ended up being a staff member with Campus Crusade for Christ, I asked him, Noah, what were the circumstances under which you and Benji shared the gospel with me that day? And the circumstances where this Campus Crusade for Christ staff person was training Benji, a sophomore in college, in how to share the gospel. And he asked Benji, hey, do you know anyone who might be interested in having a conversation about spiritual matters? And Benji thought of me. He'd known me for about a month and a half from our speech class. And so that's what started it all. So in the context of Benji being trained in how to share the gospel, I ended up coming to faith in Christ. And that was the transforming event of my life. And I look at several keys of what took place in that time. One of the keys was that it was in the context of an ongoing relationship. If some random stranger would have stopped by my dorm room to have a spiritual conversation with me, I probably would have said no, no thanks. But I knew Benji, I respected him, I liked him. And that existing relationship helped build a bridge to the gospel in my life. I also think about how Benji and this Campus Crusade staff person shared the gospel with me in a very clear way. They started where I was. They defined their terminology well. And they led me to Christ in a clear and wise way. I also think of the power of prayer. Because I didn't know it up to that point, that there were people praying that would come to faith in Christ. Particularly, I think of a a girl who lived across the hall from me in the dorm. I knew that she was a devoted Christian. We were good friends. She talked a lot about Jesus. It didn't really make much sense to me. But then, after I came to faith in Christ and I told her about that, she, she was so excited. And she said, Brandon, I've been praying for this for you for a long time. Prayer is powerful. And so we have an opportunity. Hopefully, we're praying for these things all the time. But over the next six weeks, we have the opportunity to devote this time, particularly to praying daily for five people in our lives, that they will come to faith in Christ. So, so over the next few minutes, we'll have quiet music playing in the background. And as you are ready, I encourage you to bring one of the cards up, fold it in half, and just drop it in this box. And I'll I'll pray over all these names. Please join me in prayer. Our Father, you know the names of every individual who's in this box. You know all these individuals even better than we know Lord, we pray for them. We lift them up to you, praying that you will do a work in their lives to draw them to yourself. Jesus, you said you were the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. But, but what an amazing reality that is that that you came, that we might have life and have it abundantly. And so Father, I pray that you will be at work in the lives of each person represented in here. These are friends, these are family members, these are co-workers. these are neighbors, these may be acquaintances, these may be people who we knew long ago who we haven't had much contact with for a while, but Lord, we pray that you will be at work in their lives. Give them a thirst. that cannot be quenched by anything in this world. And help them to see that Jesus is the thirst quencher. Lord, we pray that you will bring Christians in their lives who represent you wisely. You can explain the gospel to them clearly in an relevant manner. Lord, we pray that as each one of us interact with these individuals, that we will represent you well as well. And Lord, we pray that we will be faithful in praying for them. That not out of legalistic ritual, but out of love for them. And out of a trust that you love them even more than we do. And so, Lord, we pray that you will open the door of their hearts to the gospel, open the door for ministry in their lives. And, Lord, we pray that you will do a transforming work in them. We know that we can plant seeds, we can water seeds, but you make them grow. So we lift all these people up to you in Jesus' name, and we pray that you will help each one of us gathered in this room to be growing as followers of Christ as well. We pray these things for your glory. Amen.